0: terrific to be able to put a face to the name so to speak we we have a mutual friend Uh, who put us in touch uh, with one another. And the stories that he tells me about your experiences are absolutely terrific. Um, But before we get into that, I really want to talk more about this idea of having custom-made suits done because this is something that I've always been really interested in. I think it's absolutely amazing that people can do that type of high-quality handcrafted work and as much as I would like to participate in your upcoming event, I know I'm not going to be able to. But uh, nevertheless, can you tell, like, how do you find a tailor overseas to come over here and produce something of magnificent quality? I just I don't understand. It.
1: So oh, we always plan one big major trip every year with my wife. Uh, and of course, uh, we love uh, Thailand because of the service. I think. uh we looked at each other and we said, my God, the service in Thailand is, it goes out of control. I mean, you, you're looking at five star hotels that you're paying the price of a holiday in here. So, and the, the quality service is out of control. I mean, it's just, they have all the materials that you need. So when I go there once a year, I usually go to a tailor. Uh, his name is Vijay and um, he actually customized me a sports jacket um and he he of course you can pick from the silver material to the gold material the platinum material to all the type of materials it will talk to you about how what type of buttons to put on in and where the buttons came from it's just an amazing experience so what happened is i put a nice suit on of course i got my sports jacket too i brought it here my buddies were starting saying hey Where did you get that sports suit? I mean, where did you get that jacket? It's beautiful. The material is fantastic. When I touch it. And I told them, and I said, would you guys are willing to come over to my place? And I can make the guy fly from Bangkok to Washington, D.C. and get you guys all fitted. And the guys, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So I decided to do that for the first time. And uh, my tailor from Bangkok will fly to uh, Herndon, Virginia, believe it or not and uh, it's going to do all the fittings. And you need to show up, too, because it's once <laughs> once in a lifetime.
0: I, I, I believe you. I'm curious, though, like what in your estimation, what is the biggest difference in quality between something that you have handmade and custom produced versus uh, something that's mass produced?
1: Well, the, the quality is there, the quality. So if you want a, um, the material to be platinum or gold, that's the quality you're getting. And of course, you can feel it in the texture how heavy mm-hmm. it is, how nice it is. You can fill in the buttons. Uh, and also you can actually choose what the type of buttons. Do you want it to be that type? Or it's got so many types of buttons. Of course, I'm not a tailor. So, right, right, right. But, and, uh, but he actually has, he'll talk to you through them. Um, and, of course, price-wise, it's actually pretty affordable. Uh, to be And able that's the to- amazing
0: part to me. Right. Like, like how, cause one of the, one of the dynamics that I want to get into with you a little bit is this idea that production costs for things that are made in the United States are astronomically higher than they are in other parts of the world. And yet the quality seems to not be on par with one another. And so when we think about uh, the idea that someone can run a profitable business in a country like Thailand, uh, where they are making custom made garments, uh, it, it's fascinating to me that they're able to do that and do well what would do you do you have any insight into the dynamics that would allow that to happen
1: it's it comes down to money at the end of the, the, the story basically it's the 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 labor in Bangkok of course they don't get 15 bucks and 20 bucks an hour okay um, and that's actually what it comes down to uh, and of course uh, to be able to make it uh, they also do trips like this one like the one that's coming now. So he flies down here and gets more money out of it. So at least once a year, it will come to you uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, several places in the United States to do it. Uh, and that actually helps the business stay alive. Because, you know, sometimes when you go abroad, you look at how other people live as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Cambodia, for instance, you know, I mean, it's a very poor country and everything's run by the government, all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't actually own land, if you believe it or not. So they actually put huts up, just huts, uh, tents, uh, plastic, whatever they can find and create a little hut to be able to sell food or uh, little things that they actually can make or uh, anything they can. But if the government comes and tells them, get out of here now, they have to pack and leave. Uh, Of course, they don't actually have that big taxation either because the government has Mm -hmm. to go and – Uh, Follow them. So, because everything is cash thrown. Um, So, and the money is not worth anything. I mean, I remember um, I went to Cambodia and my wife and I were there for the second day and the government came up and on the TV. And said, you know what? We are not uh, going to actually have two party lines anymore. We are dictatorship. And that's how it's going to be. And if you guys want to demonstrate about that, you have to go to this particular square only. And demonstrate your uh, that you don't want it. Nobody went to that square mm-hmm. because yeah, what happens so. is all the police actually take pictures of who are the, who's going to go in that square. So they don't want to deal with it, mm-hmm. and they smile. They keep smiling. They don't have nothing, but they keep smiling because they tell them if the tourist comes to you, you better smile, or otherwise you'll actually have a, a few problems with us. So yeah, they're trying to smile to be able to be happy. Thailand is actually mm-hmm. in the same in a better condition though but in a, in a much more stronger economically, they're strong economically. So, and that's why you, you see United States go to Southeast Asia to get all our products. I mean, China, for instance, Cambodia, mm-hmm. Vietnam, Laos, all these places. And if you think of what actually every place of what I'm saying has in, in common, is socialism, communism. That's what they were. I mean, right. China is communist, you know, uh, Cambodia is a communist, mm-hmm. Laos, Vietnam is communist. And, and, and the people live exactly what the word means, communist, socialism. Mm-hmm. And that's why, because you actually, you have to survive for yourself because the government at that point, when it takes over a socialism, communism, they will not give you the help you need. They stop with uh, giving you grants or giving you, you know, a retirement plan. Or, no, no, you're going to be working until you die. That's how it is. And unfortunately, people here in the United States, they don't travel much. And if they do, they might go to Southeast Asia, and then they'll see all the scorpions that they have to eat, and all the snakes on a stick that they have to eat, and all the cockroaches that they have to eat. And they say, oh, my God, how could they? How could they? Mm-hmm. Have you ever tried to starve yourself for just five days? Uh, you no, starve- I haven't. Three
0: days is the most I ever made it.
1: Five days or a week. I mean, you can drink as much water as you want. Somehow you can do it. But Mm -hmm. if you starve yourself for a whole week, everything will start looking tasty. Now, the generation that came to Cambodia didn't come overnight, it came slowly. So when Pol Pot was almost killed, almost uh, two and a half million of his own people in less than two years, when he came in power, he starved his people. We all know that. So people were actually eating anything that was crawling. That, they taught it to the kids. The kids taught it to the other kids. The kids, and even today, if you go to Cambodia, you still see they're still eating those things: spiders, cockroaches, snakes, all the type of food that for us we think is disgusting. For them, it's the legacy. So why? Because they got used to it. So, from the mm-hmm. past. And, of course, I uh, was given to their kids, and then their kids, their kids, and so on, so, and so on.
0: And they don't yeah. know any better, right? They've never they don't experienced know, yeah, it's anything a, it's, it's different.
1: It's my, my mom actually taught, 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 taught me how to uh, um, eat a spider, and that's how you eat it. And, uh, and of course, and how that's do you how eat a spider, exactly? To be honest with you, to fry them. Uh, the whole thing. And you see that? And I watched it. Of course, I never tried it. I, I've tried other things in my life, but not that. Uh, I've like tried what, few, what's
0: the weirdest thing you've ever tried?
1: Well, I've tried um, uh, silkworms, you know, like woodworms. Uh, I've tried uh, um, li- little um, uh, gros- gross hoppers. I've uh, tried, um, they look like, you know, chips. Uh, I've tried a few things. I've tried uh, horse meat. I've tried uh, elephant meat. I've tried a lot of weird stuff in my life.
0: Was there any of it any good?
1: Actually, you know, it depends. If they don't tell you, it's, it's like potato chips. <laughs> when I was eating it, I was actually watching. I was in China. I was eating this little yellow bowl that came across, and I was having a beer, and I was just snacking it down, and it tasted like chips. And the guy says, oh, you're mm-hmm. eating uh, this little gross uh, little uh, uh, bugs. And I said, what are you talking about? And I look at them all. They had legs in them. I said, and I thought, oh, interesting.
0: I do <laughs> so not I think the American good. population is ready for that.
1: <laughs> I know. You went, down, you, you went down good with a cold beer. But anyway, um, but my background, you know, I've traveled all the world. Actually, I have so many passwords. I wish I could show you. I mean, I have a whole stack of them. And uh, I was uh, eight years old when um, I started traveling. And, of course... Maybe I need to show you this because it's important on this conversation.
0: Oh, you should. I mean, you know, someone who has traveled, it's as important in this conversation because
1: I'd like to show Absolutely. you. Absolutely. This. this is actually a Greek password. If mm-hmm. you read close to it, it says the Republic on top. Mm-hmm. Republic. Can you see it? Republic. Oh, yeah. Okay. When Greece was a republic, We were a strong country. And here's how the proof is. It's blue. That's you can see it. And here's another one. And now this one, you can see it closely. It's a republic. Mm -hmm. All right? Here's another one. You'll see it closely. It's a republic. Now, going forward, here's the first one that came out. Burgundy. It doesn't actually have the word republic anymore on it. You see that? And mm-hmm. here's the second one. It says, the Greek democracy. They took out the republic and they put democracy on it. Here's another one.
0: It's interesting.
1: Greek democracy. So now you might mm-hmm. say to yourself, okay, Harry, talk to us about this. What is the two different difference about what Greece used to be and what Greece became? Well, this was a republic and this is democratic socialism. In 1981, when Papadreou became um, president, the PASOK, this is what we got, this 1991 passport. And, of course, it's continuing today. I don't use any of those passports, of course, because I have my American passport. But I want to show you the difference of what was Greece once and what it became. So, of course, we all know about Greece uh, and what happened to it um people why don't
0: just for some of the people that don't know why don't you give like a quick summary of what happened
1: well people in greece again it's a it's a it's a way of life if you're going to be poor all your life you're going to be poor your life it just doesn't really matter that you pass it on to your kids so it doesn't matter if you what we were before it doesn't really matter it's that's gone it's like spilled milk uh, it's done it's all, all gone now what we do So, of course, uh, people that were trying to work for Greece, the government came in and said, you know what? You don't need to work as hard. We'll take care of you. Just stay home, be with your families, and we'll take care of you. And they stopped doing that. And slowly, slowly, they got used to it. Okay? Um, When... um, if you want to be an entrepreneur in Greece, it's, it's a very big challenge because you can't, because you cannot put all that effort, you get nothing out of it. So why, why waste your time? It doesn't make sense to be an entrepreneur in Greece. It just doesn't. And a lot of people actually open coffee shops. If you go to Greece, number one thing that Greeks open is coffee shops and, um, you know, tavernas, they're very focused on food and coffee because there's nothing else to think about or to, to try to create. When Greece in 1991, Papadopoulos took, took over, um, he came out and started blaming the rich, started blaming the factories, started blaming everything. And he was telling him, if you vote for me, I'll go into the factory, I'll get you a better raise. Because, you know, your wages is slow. So he got voted in. And from 91 until, I can say until 2000, so 1997, um, most factories left Greece. So all those people that they used to work for the factories, they didn't get any uh, big raise. Actually, got unemployment. But what Papadreou did instead, it was a, a brilliant thing. He said, I'm going to hire all these people. So he gave them uh, jobs in the government. Street cleaners, people who clean offices. So what he created, a country that's only 9 million people, he had almost 2.5 million government workers for 9 million people. So that's what incredible. he said is, yeah, so what he said is, I'm going to make sure that each election that we go through, we are always going to win, because we already bring in almost two and a half million to three million votes out of nine. Mm-hmm. So we're always going to get ahead, and also their family members will vote for us because we're taking care of that family member. Mm-hmm. So now we actually also can bring up to four million or five million votes. Who knows? But the kept it strong, and of course we have the free hospitals but if you see the how free they are you won't even want to go near them because of the cleanliness or sure the way they keep the patients in dorms like uh, 12 uh, 12 uh, people in a dorm the smell it's just it's just an amazing thing actually i took our friend tim to greece and i mm-hmm. i drove him downtown athens and Tim was actually shocked. He says, Harry, what is going on here? All this graffiti on the wall. I said, We have democracy. We can do whatever you want. You can do anything you can kill somebody and you still don't get time in jail. Um, you can kill someone in Greece and you might get five years to 10 years. And I said, you out. And actually, the jails stay in Greece. People... They open. So let's say if you're a kid, kill someone, all right? I'm just saying, somebody's kid, kill someone. They'll put that kid in jail, but he wants to go study, let's say, to become an architect. Though the government will give him a scooter, he'll come out of the jail prison, he'll go to the university, and then come back to his jail prison, cell. So every day, he can go out and go and get educated. And we've done it so many times. And the truth of the matter is because it's it's socialist democratic system. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get away with anything. It doesn't really matter. So if you want graffiti, you don't actually have someone to tell you, you know, you're not supposed to do that on, on someone's building, on someone's house. Now the graffiti in everybody's doorstep and on your house outside, you know, they can come and graffiti on your garage door without any anyone uh, to get blamed for
0: well, you it's know. interesting, you know, because when you look at, you know, the way hu- the human mind works, when you remove consequences from the equation, it's it's always fascinating to see what happens to a society when there's no longer a cost for poor behavior or for destruction or for murder. Um, you know, these things, they're very real scenarios in a lot of different countries, but not here in the United States. And that's one of the reasons that I thought that your story was so important is because to boil everything down to brass tacks, it would seem that the words democracy and republic have become largely interchangeable in the American vernacular. And that's a real problem, don't you think? Because we're talking about Two very different words that have two very out two very different outcomes when you apply them to the problem of governance, right? Um, at the end of the day, you know, if you are part of the People's Republic of whatever, you do not have the same freedoms that you do within a government infrastructure like we have in the United States. Would you agree?
1: Yes, and also, like like I wanted to tell you, audience, too that. When I was really young, was about eight years old, we moved to Africa as well. So I grew up in uh, Rhodesia. It used to be called Rhodesia, Salisbury, Rhodesia. I went to uh, Prince Edward High School for Boys there. Um, in 1980, Robert Mugabe, the communist socialist, took over the country. I'm not going to go into details of what happened to the country. You can actually, people can Google it, go to Zimbabwe ruins and uh, see how, what happened to Zimbabwe. But uh, it's a sad story because right now Zimbabwe, life expectancy, it's only 45 to 50 years of age. Um, the city is going down in a hell basket. They actually don't even have sidewalks and sidewalks anymore. The sidewalk and the roads is actually almost the same because they never kept it up. Uh, currency, they, actually, they don't actually have currency. Right now, China owns a Zimbabwe. And I think they're running with... Uh, the Chinese currency. So uh, I was there uh, for 10 years. And then, of course, unfortunately, I came to Greece to be greeted by Greece with Andrea Papadreou in 1981. And, of course, I told my father, you know, I don't think, I, I mean, I, was, I used to actually have a nice uh, coffee shop um, and I was doing really well. But, of course, I had a lot of people against me. I was too young to be making so much money. You had the government government coming every other week to pick up their cheque. Your employees actually had more um, power than you, the owner. So if I fired my employee or you know, tell him you couldn't work, I had to pay him a six month severance. And that's actually in 82, uh, 84, uh, 83 through, through 86. Um, so of course, I've been to the military. Uh, I've done that, my part. I've done a lot of work. So I I was with communications, uh, with the Naval Communications when I first got to Greece in 1981. I started with that first, but I've done a lot of work to get where I am today. I mean, I threw anything at the wall to make anything stick. And what I found out is when I came to the United States, of course, I, I came in as an immigrant in 89, But I had to go back to Greece and put all my paperwork together to come legally in this country. So yes, I came as as a visitor. I saw, I loved what I saw, but I had to do all the other necessary paperwork. And it takes almost 10 years for me to obtain an American passport, 10 years. And now what pisses me off is actually people are saying it's it's taking too long. It's taking too long. And they're getting it in two years. They get an American passport. You come to the United States, you get an American passport in two to three years. And I think it took Mm -hmm. me 10. And, of course, I had to go through interviews, through background checks, through uh, American history, um, through all the process that you had to do from the beginning. First, you come to the United States permanent. I came in '91. I got a green card. The green card actually has a two-year expiration run. If you are good in two years, you haven't done anything, you haven't broken a law, you can stay. And then they'll issue you a normal one without an expiration date. We have a two-year probation, it's called. And when people say probation, why do they keep putting people probation? Well, because that's how we do it, you know? You get a two-year probation, see if this person is good, and everybody thinks this is somehow racist and stuff. No, it's not. I mean, I didn't see it as racist when I came here. You know, and I came here. Right. I was a, right. I didn't see it. I, uh, this is how the country is. I'm going to behave. I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to pay taxes. I'm going to be doing, I'm going to love the United States. No, no matter what. This is why I'm here, because the United States is giving me a chance. You know, and I really the United don't. United States passport
0: mess up. is one of the most powerful passports in the world, is it not?
1: <laughs> it is. But it's, remember, I want to show you again, and to your audience, remember the Greek password? Now it's the United States password. What I'm fearing, don't make the American password this color, so that's what I'm fearing. So other than that, you know, and of course I did what I had to do. Uh, I came here, I worked, uh, I did all the jobs. I was part-time waiter in every hotel running around the circles, uh, whoever wanted me, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, coffee breaks, uh, events, fun- you know, anywhere. I was working seven days a week, 12, 14 hours a day. I didn't have time for to think who's who's running for president, who political things. Or I was actually thinking sure. how do I keep a roof over my head because I came from a different situations. So when people tell me, oh, they're trying to push socialism with me, I said, you know what? I've seen the movie twice already. Do you want to tell me again? So tell me the preview? Because I already seen Well, I think we,
0: we need to. We need to, right? I mean, I think that was one of the big motivations for, for us getting together to talk today was the idea that we have a significant portion of Americans that kind of fall into two categories simultaneously. One, they have an underdeveloped appreciation of the freedoms we have in a general sense in the United States. But they also have a lack of understanding of what's happening in other parts of the world and what reality looks like when you adopt some of the policies that are currently being thrown around, as if they're no big deal, uh, in Congress right now. And it's, it's a really scary proposition for us to end up in a situation like Greece is. And so I think it's important to describe in as much detail as we can uh, what is the reality of Greece, particularly as it relates to infrastructure ownership. The story of which countries own what infrastructure in Greece is fascinating to me, and nobody knows about it. Can you talk a little bit more about it? Sure.
1: People listen I'm Greek, and I hate to to um because actually some Greeks telling me why you tell these things about Greece don't you aren't you proud of your country I said well, I'm proud of my country I just don't want to pull other people in the quicksand you know when you're actually uh, stepping on quicksand you just tell people stop stop, don't come here it's quicksand here we're already stuck don't come here no I, I, that's what I'm doing I'm, I'm trying to tell the truth you know. Uh, Greece was defaulted many times with her with loans, many times. And, of course, the biggest support of Greece is Germany because uh, Germany is the one, and, of course, France are the ones who keep giving the loans. And, and of course, the United States uh, gives the loans as well. Everybody gives loans because once you get used to taking, you just keep receiving. It's, it's like, you know, if you keep on feeding birds outside, they'll keep on coming to your deck okay they will, they will not stop and then when you stop they'll they'll start uh, saying why why this happened they won't know where to go okay so Greece right now is actually not owned by Greece or Greeks i mean uh, let's start with uh, the the new airport eleftherios venizelos actually is owned by Germany by 99 years so everybody that comes there yes the greeks workers all greeks that actually do the the background and everything else at the airport you know coffee shops and everything but they all pay taxes to the germans all that money that comes through here greece airport it goes to germany and they actually did a deal for 99 years that goes there also the germans own the highway system or the tolls for 99 years uh they also owe, uh, own uh uh, the archaeological museums, you know, if you go to the Acropolis, if you go to said they, they actually own that part, some of that part, because they actually made the Germans actually created the new museum in Athens. So they own that part too. Um, they own the metro, the metro, the beautiful metro that you go and take pictures, it's actually was owned by the Germans. Um, they own um, the buses. Any type of transportation they own. Um, China owns the ports of Greece. Uh, they actually have some marbles and olives, some, they owe two for 99 years. The Italians, I think own uh, the railroad stations. Um, and I think Germany actually owes another 30 or 40 little airports around the islands too. So can Absolutely. you imagine? if united states actually had to give the rights to a country other than the united states their highway system for 100 years
0: right but what what causes a country to give away their infrastructure like that now based on the conversation we had previously my understanding was it was more debt forgiveness than a trade of value is that accurate or did so th- so in other words greece got themselves in trouble with yeah, no, these, it's not know, the go- governments of each of these countries,
1: yeah, it's not such a thing as debt forgiveness. Nobody will actually give you debt forgiveness, and um, they'll just give you, uh, you know, you owe us. So <clears throat> give us, give me your basement for uh, nine nine years, and then if you don't pay, give us your second floor for nine nine years, and if you don't pay, you give us your third floor for nine nine years, and then they'll just keep on taking it until they have the whole house. Um, why ninety nine years? I don't Boy, know. That number seems actually, to come up quite a bit. It's a, it's, it's a actually, a, it's an interesting theory. But they, they, they agreed ninety nine years, um, and that's what they signed. But because they defaulted, they defaulted once, they defaulted again. Okay, how can we close this gap? Uh, maybe you can take some of the money from here. Maybe you can take some of the money from there. I mean, right now, if you ever went to uh, Google and you say. Uh, Greek islands for sale. The first thing that will come up, it's a Greek islands for sale. You can buy on your, your own island for a million dollars, five million dollars. You can actually go, you can name it anything you want. So what I'm trying to tell you is Greece actually, yes, it's a beautiful country. I mean, I always tell people, go. I mean, you will not see the beautiful beaches and the people, fantastic, the food, everything is great. But what kills me is, we have actually just sold our all the whole country away we just sold it and uh, what was the what was
0: the major point in history that caused this problem was there a singular point or was it a compounding one bad decision after another type of circumstance
1: so when Papadreou actually uh, started getting loans they got Papadreou was a socialist government of greece it really got loans to maintain all those 2 million, 2.5 million government workers happy. But they didn't have to work anything. I mean, I remember a story saying to me that they used to, some of the government workers used to actually go and clock in, in government office, leave from that office, and go and work somewhere else so they can get two paychecks. Um, So, and then, or they used to actually say, hey, uh, Hey, Doug, are you going in today? Yeah. Hey, can you clock me in and I'll clock you on a Thursday? And they used to do that. Also, uh, they start avoiding paying taxation. Of course, i would stop avoiding taxation. If I had to pay like 25% and 50%, I'll, I'll say, why will I pay so much money? I mean, uh, right now, oh, so, so you used to go and say, okay, how much is this uh, jacket? Uh, the guy will say, okay, I'll, I'll give it to you for 100 euros but you have to wear it outside when you leave the store without a receipt. Okay? So you say, yeah, usually it's 150 euros. I'll give it to you for 100, but you have to wear it walking out. And you said to yourself, okay. So you wear the jacket, and you acted like you, it wasn't you anymore. So people started doing that. Oh, shoes. How much you want for the shoes? Oh, it's going to be 40 euros, but um, if you buy it... Uh, Without a receipt, I'll give it to you for thirty-five. And of course, people start coming. Yeah, they'll do it. I mean, who won not right? If you actually were living with five hundred euros a month salary, sure. seven hundred fifty euros, you'll say, yeah, every five euro counts. So I don't blame them. So, what percentage
0: you... of Greek business do you think is done under the table?
1: Oh my God. Oh my God, they're still actually doing it. I mean, oh my God, actually the 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 government uh, sometimes shuts them down because they find a lot of frauds, and then uh, you see the building all shut down with tapes and everything, uh, and then about six months later they reopen with a different name.
0: So, oh yeah, everybody
1: does it. I mean, of course. I never When was actually... the last
0: time do you think Greece had a stable economy? Like, what year was it?
1: I think after the seventies, I believe seventies, actually had a good economy, a very strong one. Eighties um, actually was just the reason tough, I ask. Long. Yeah, eighties, but okay. eighty-one when Papaduro came, we still actually had a good, strong economy because not everybody was, you know, all over the place. But here's the thing: socialists will always tell you, "I will fix your problem." But Papadreou kept on saying that. So while they closed all the factories of Greece and then moved out of the country because they can go to Albania for cheaper, or they can go to uh, Romania for cheaper, or they can go to uh, uh, Yugoslavia for cheaper, okay? And that's what they did. Um, then they actually had nothing else to, do, to say. So what they said is oh, if you tell me who actually has, uh, you know, they started going after the rich people. So who actually has a big house? Who has a pool? Because if your neighbor actually has a bigger pool, let me know and I will tax it more than you that you live next to him. So they were going after the pools. I remember they actually put drones to take pictures so they can tax. So most of the people, because they could not afford a pool, covered it up. But in the same time, those people who made those pools were not, they never had a license to do so. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it because doesn't. The, yeah, because the license was more expensive to make a pool. So they used to do the construction overnight. And so some people actually paid for the fines and paid the fees. And it kept them, some people just just bulldoze more, sand over and cover it all up again. But I'm just trying well, to Well in you those cases things. a license is just a tax
0: anyways, right?
1: Yeah. So now in Greece So it's just
0: another tax.
1: Yeah. So now in Greece, we try, in Greece we're trying, Greece is really trying hard very hard in the past uh, several years to be able to fix his problems. And now for the finally, finally now we actually have property taxes Greece that just came up now. And now they want us to measure the exactly, meters of uh, uh, feet of our houses, exactly how far is our balcony. And the finally, I would agree Greece back and forth and trying to fix this and I'm fixing them because they're trying really hard to to become a Western society civilization, that everything that you see, it's actually what it is. Because in the old days, what they used to do is build whatever they wanted and then claim it was a little hut. Well, it was a big house. So they claimed a little hut and they built a big house, you know, with a big yard. And you look at the the blueprints and you say, which house are we talking about? And they say, this one. This is not this is totally different houses. <laughs> so so now Greece is started trying to get back into normals. But um, I was actually I was having here a couple of uh, Cambodia money, and I wanted to show you this to your audience. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a couple of five hundreds and thousands and nine hundreds. All this here combined, so nice and crisp, huh? This came out of the printing machine.
0: Mm-hmm. This is
1: why we're not supposed to print money. All this combined. It's about thirty cents, <laughs> but hey, they got a nice picture of whoever this is. You know, really nice. Yeah, that
0: guy right there. Right,
1: yeah. So yep. I mean, it, 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 the cost them more to print that crap than to actually have a currency. So this is why every time I hear in the United States actually getting more and more money out in the market and so stuff, I'm saying. I think mm-hmm. the, the printing machines need to stop because you know what? Your, your $20 bill will become eventually your $1 bill.
0: You yeah. Have well, stop. that's one of, that's the primary driver behind the inflation we're experiencing right now. Right. I mean, yes. that when we injected $4 trillion worth of currency detached from any value into the economy over COVID. And, you know, we have government officials that are trying to plane dynamics other than that decision For the consequences right and and it's absurd that anybody is actually buying that narrative you know we know precisely why we're paying more for a loaf of bread today than we were two years ago that's the reason there is no other reason than that absolutely staggering to me um the other thing that i thought was interesting just about the conversation we had the other day was was this idea that motivation for production, for being a productive citizen has all been wiped out, you know, not just in Greece, but in in pretty much every socialist country that does it, uh, you know, because from my perspective, there are multiple ways to frame up what socialism will look like, but they all end the exact same way. And I think the biggest challenge is you completely demotivate a society long enough and it's catastrophic. Um, and we've ex- experienced quite a bit of that over, over COVID, right? Because you had a lot of people that kind of got used to not working, right? There were rules and laws that were put in place that would allow them to be minimally productive. Um, but that's a dynamic that a lot of countries, that's the status quo for them. And it's fascinating to me that nobody seems to understand that we are not that far away. I mean, we talked about it, you know, you and I, it, it, we're not that far away from that reality.
1: Like I told you, Doug, I'm watching this, um, movie third time in my, uh, experiences. I mean, I lived in, uh, I was in, uh, Zimbabwe for 10 years. Um, uh, I was in Europe for 18 years and I've been in this wonderful country for 31 years. And, um, and I'll tell you one thing, about of all these three countries, the only country that actually gave me an opportunity to get ahead of myself, because I, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. We were poor, we were a middle-class, you can say, um, type of family. Uh, it was the United States. Uh, and actually have my success for the past 12 years. And I'll, and every immigrant, when they come here, the, the, you, know, you can tell them anything. They'll keep their heads down, they'll do their jobs they're not here for political reasons. They're just here to try to see if they can get some money, try to get ahead of the game, because the countries that I came from, that did not give them the opportunities that this country's given. And watching this country that also, I, I was with the Virginia National Guard as well with, the, uh, and I spent uh, time with that helping people. And I realized that this country needs to stay where it is. It's a lot, the last light of beacon around the world. It's like you know i always talk about greece greece used to be the light beacon of the world because of course the the birthplace of democ demokratia. it's called demokratia and actually a lot of what of is the, that demokratia is democracy uh but demokratia mm. was actually for the greeks at that time it was uh, was born um demos demokratia the word it's actually in two two syllables it's cut in two and it's actually one when you say demokratia it's actually demos. Demos means uh, counties. Dimotes means the people that live in the counties. The people, dimotes. Mm-hmm. So in the old days, dimotes, demo, the people that live in the counties of Greece, voted for the mayor on that county. Okay? okay, and then the mayors got together and voted for the for the leader. So Demos means demotes, kratos means state, country, kratos, demokratia, okay? Uh, so Demos, the people that lived in the counties, the mortes, voted for that person who actually takes care of that county. The counties got together, of those elected, voted for the leader of the country. And that's how it used to be, democratia. But now, democracy has been uh, used everywhere. And I think it's losing its actual value. Uh, if you see North Korea, it's called themselves the, the, the democratic peoples of republic, sure. the democratic mm-hmm. peoples of North Korea. And, you know, you see you, Iran uses it. You, you see Syria. You see so many other countries that they're not even supposed to have that word. Um, use mm-hmm. it, and you, you see people that actually do harm things to people still using democracy. And everything that they want to make you afraid of, is order to say the first thing is it's our democracy is in, in stake. What is that? What is democracy? If you ask them to break it mm-hmm. down, they wouldn't know what that means. You see, that's why that's I always right. said democracy was meant for the Greeks. It wasn't meant for the whole world. But of course the world adopted it and took it on it because most of the elections, most of, that's why the parliaments look uh, a bit Greek, because it comes from that. You know, of course, uh, mm-hmm. we used to vote in the old ancient Greece, we used to vote with stones. A black stone was no, and a white stone was yes. So we used to put in big um, pots, and then we used to empty the pot, and then we used to count how many black stones, how many white stones. And that's how we elected our leaders in those days. And... Um, I don't know if you guys knew about democratia, what that really meaning means, but I hope I uh, can educate your uh, viewers as well about that. So anyway, I think it's important to understand. Yeah. I think democratia has lost the value meaning because right now, if people don't know the freedom that you actually we have here, it's amazing, amazing. I mean, I, we, I can go all over the world and come back, and when I come to United States, it's like I'm home. It's like God help me. I mean, if we lose these beautiful things, I'm just and when I hear AOC and all these people telling me that you, they want to do this and I want to, this, ideas are crazy because the people who are going to get affected first is actually the poor. The poor.
0: Oh sure. The poor mm-hmm.
1: people I mean, in this country will be the first ones to actually face that uh, big thing. Because in Greece, we used to actually have a three levels, too. Now it used to be the rich, used to be the middle class and the poor. Now it's the rich went to the middle class, the middle class went to the poor. So we lost something somewhere. We lost the whole tier. So... Well, so, the upper uh, class
0: went to China what it sounded yeah. like to me at least
1: yeah i mean uh, and, and even in china yeah. i mean look at china i mean china do- does uh, i went to china in 2001 actually in december of 2001 i went to beijing uh, shanghai and uh and i went to china again in 2014 i believe i went to hong kong and you'll see the difference uh on the people how the people act because if you don't they don't get paid a lot people don't get paid a lot so anyway, that, right. uh, I think the uh, United States actually is a great country. Um, I think I do believe. But I don't think I do believe in dear in my heart that if it wasn't for the United States, I would not be in the situation where um, I am today. I listen. I mean, I you know I don't.
0: I don't know anyone that looks at the United States as being a problem today. The challenge that we face, and, and this is, is something I would like to to, to get your thoughts on. Uh, the challenge is how do we preserve the freedoms we have when there's this looming threat of policy-driven deterioration and erosion of our, our, our core freedoms? I mean, one of, the, one of the biggest things that makes me nervous is anytime someone wants to propose a constitutional amendment, right? That is supposed to be something that is exceedingly difficult to do, and yet almost every cycle – we have a slate of politicians that are trying to enact different rules and regulations to make whatever it is they want to get done easier to get done. But that is a double-edged sword. And so the reason I wanted to frame it up that way is because from your perspective, what do you think the single biggest threat to our freedoms is?
1: Well, the biggest threat is if anybody, and I don't care who's going to be, destroys the Constitution of the United States or tries to uh, uh, mess it up or try to take things Mm -hmm. out of it or try to put things into Mm -hmm. it. The Constitution of the United States, for me, it's actually brilliant. The people who came up with that was, uh, I mean, they were like knowing, had actually like a a silver ball, knowing what's going to come. If Mm -hmm. if we touch that, if we actually even think of touching that, uh, we, we lost all hope. In the United States, the Constitution is what keeps us alive. We keep yeah. that alive. I agree. United States alive. You know everything. Can it's the from. most unique document in yes. history. That's you it. Know, it everything was created
0: by people who had right, correct. And you know when you think about the mindsets of the individuals who created it. I mean, the way I describe the federal government is like a seized engine. Right, it is designed to move exceedingly slowly. For a very specific reason, because if it does move fast, whoever's in power in a given period of time is going to have enough power to make sure they stay in power. It's really that simple. And so, you know, the people who crafted our Constitution really understood the threats that existed then and what they were able to project. You know what could potentially happen in the future, especially as power structures change and, and things of that nature. So it, it really is one of the most brilliant documents, if not the most brilliant document ever created by man.
1: It's true. Um, you and know, to your yeah.
0: point, it's it's the foundation of our country. Okay, Harry. Listen, this has been fantastic. We're up against time. I'm so glad that you and I got a chance to to chat again. I am going to do everything in my power to go with Tim to meet your tailor because that just sounds like one of those absolutely awesome experiences. That's kind of once in a lifetime.
1: Yeah. I'm actually, I'm going to also spoil the boys as well. So we could actually have a great thing. So there'll be no wives around, but before yeah. I let you go, I want to tell you about the difference yeah. of passports that we're selling you. Do sure. you know what color or passport the Chinese have?
0: I thought it was red, but I'm probably wrong.
1: No, actually you're right. It's red. So what's next? No. It's burgundy. I want I'm. I'm showing you this because I want to see. I want to show your viewers that if you go from blue to burgundy, closing it to red. I mean, when uh, Britain uh, became a European Union, um, they went from blue passports to burgundy, and finally now that they are all by themselves, they turned their passports back to the blue original um, cover, like they used to be. So I just want to tell you, uh, tell your audience. Remember, passports. Actually, every time you see a passport, it plays a role. So every time you see a so passport, weird though, it's a socialist passport. If you see a red passport, it's a communist passport, and if you see a blue passport, it's a republic passport. And that's like an official thing.
0: Like they they yes. design the like. It can't be pure happenstance that it just happens to line like. No,
1: that. it's actually the only countries. Actually, the Islamic countries actually have green passports.
0: Yeah, so that's
1: if you right. see mm-hmm. Pakistan, if you see Iran, mm-hmm. every, they have green passports. So everything is a green on that side of the world. But in the Western civilization, all the way through China, if you actually grab it like this, you'll see that the blue passport, it's a Republican passport. The red the red passport is communist. And the, the burgundy is socialism.
0: Anyway. Unbelievable.
1: That's so I wanted to show you. Well,
0: hopefully, we won't be seeing red or burgundy passports in the United <laughs> States anytime soon. I mean, I'll put it this way mine's blue and it doesn't expire for like nine more years. So, at the very least, uh, but I don't, I, 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 I want to be a little bit optimistic. You know what I mean? I want to believe that our power structure is strong enough to prevent some of these seemingly great ideas like, you know, fairness and equality I mean, those are great things conceptually, but when you start Absolutely. extracting resources, one of the things that I say relatively frequently is the government doesn't create anything. It extracts and redistributes at the will of the people, right? So as long as the will of the people is kind of aligned there, right? All the people, not just the ones that are in need, but the people that create and produce and receive the things that they are due from society. As long as we allow them to continue to be motivated by whatever motivates them, um, we should be in good shape. But okay, Harry, this was fantastic. I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Um, I'll have this up here in the next, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes. So uh, it's good talking to you.
1: Thank you, Doug.